Three, two, one. Anthony Darby, I'm here with Cam from uh, Shore Natural. Thank you very much for coming out. Dude, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I love working in this industry with people that are incredibly passionate about putting out amazing medicine to patients. And that is something that you have uh, exuded the entire time. And Shore Natural's done an amazing job. Um, if anyone is unfamiliar, um, Cam is head grower. Is that the proper title? Or? Uh, head of vegetation and genetics. Head of vegetation and genetics. And we, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. We're going to get into the dirty of genetics. We're going to get into cultivation practices, drying process, curing the whole nine yards from seed to final product. Um, Cam does a really great job and not just a passion cannabis but really vegetation at large right i mean i see on your facebook page you're making your own soil and making your own yeah, compost yeah. and um all these these different practices that are really exciting to me as someone that doesn't really understand that stuff so hopefully today my goal will be kind of get into some of the details so um i mentioned passion uh <laughs> you talk about it very casually but your passion for genetics and sourcing seeds is so robust that you convinced your newlywed wife to go on a honeymoon <laughs> to Sri Lanka to go track down Thailand race. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a funny story. A lot of people asked us why we chose that location, and that was like a hard answer. So a lot of people are getting their answer now. So glad you asked that. <laughs> so if you heard that it was a top ten vacation site on some website, that's not the truth. He was tracking down. Yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, good beaches, but it's like we live at a great beach. You know, I don't need to travel for that. <laughs> can you talk about that? We can talk about that trip. Yeah, so, you, so you go over there. Did you just take, do you have some connections over there or you go online and try to identify some folks first? Yeah, yeah. So I met a really good connection. Um, the Sayoni Smoking Culture is a really good group of people out there. They're um, trying to expand the plan as a general with the government. So working super hard to just actually bring that Western medicine mentality over to like this Asian culture. Um, they were cultivating long before us and he knows that. So it's pretty cool stuff. So he was able to really bring me along, show me the right roots and I was able to get seeds. So it was a really cool expedition with him. Do you get seeds from like some dude in a hut? Like, is is it? Yeah, actually, that's the idea. Is we went to um, my wife. She didn't want to go into the mountains with me for that one, which I understood. So I let her stay at like the beach and hang out. She did her thing, and I went to the mountains. I actually helped out on a farm for two days. Um, helped figure out some soil recipes for these guys. They have a very clay soil. Um, these guys are growing a little bit more than just like your average fruits and vegetables. They weren't growing cannabis or anything illegal, but they just needed some help with getting that stuff together. So I helped help them out and. They're like, hey, so we're going to help you get those seeds that you were looking for. And that That's was the awesome. whole thing itself as well. So it was a good time, though. So <clears throat> I would say that I know more about genetics than the average Joe. Um, but it's not something that I, I I have anywhere near as much knowledge as someone like yourself or some of these, these folks that it's become its own industry. I mean, it's amazing to me how important the genetics are to your final product I and mean, it's obviously good in good out right but how long would you say genetics has been in the forefront hasn't been in the forefront in terms of um cultivars really being able to go out and source the gen genetics i'd say you know it was like the late 80s when we started seeing like a lot of this afghanistan stock coming in from soldiers and whatnot we started getting the diversity of like chem dog the ogs the sours and stuff like that so People really started identifying with more of those genetics in the late 80s, like 90s. So now a lot of that's been like, you know, bottlenecked down into what we know is like these polyhybrids and whatnot. Yeah, I think genetics like in the beginning was almost 
because when you're buying your, your, your cannabis on the street, genetics all of a sudden becomes more like a sales pitch, right? It yeah. becomes like, I got the bubble gum this, or I have, you know, whatever catchy title that that guy thought he could use to get you to buy more, he was going to call it that. And as a consumer buying a Ziploc bag with, with Bud in it, you have no way of tracing. You have no way of actually understanding the heritage of that plant. You don't know if it's Blue Dream. If he told you it's Blue Dream, you don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, but now that we're in this highly regulated market, we're actually able to go back and trace lineage and trace um, strains. And I guess, so... so with a, a strain like Blue Dream, right? There's thousands and thousands of variations of this, right? Yep, yep, yep. So was there an original Blue Dream? Is, is it possible to trace back to like oh, the original? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like DJ Short's the creator of that. So that was a Highland tie and like an Afghani. So um, basically he had put two genetics together and he found this blueberry and this floral like plant. So these are your phenotype expressions, same plant, but just two little different smells and two different characteristics with the smoke. One had this crazy berry and one floral, so he named the floral flow and the blueberry blueberry. So from there, everybody started crossing it out, and then we got the amnesia haze line going around. That was crossed into blueberry, and then you get your blue dream from there. So I, <clears throat> everything goes back to a land race strain eventually? Absolutely, okay. yep, yep. Your land race are heirloom genetics as well as what they call them. And you can rattle them off, right? Is, is not, uh, not all of them, you know. Are, how many are there, would you uh, say? Thousands, I'd say. There's still thousands. So even if you go back to the heirloom or the land race, there's still thousands. Of those strains. Absolutely. I mean, you hear such broad terms like Afghani or Pakistani or something like that. But, you know, there's different regions within that whole country, you know. So, like, I just got some stuff from Afghanistan that's from a place called Calm. So, that's like a completely different area. It's like a highland tie, which would be up in the mountains. So, you know, the, these are completely different genetics dispersed within, like, the same country and regions. So, like, you can find, you know, your short, you know, indicas. And then you can also find these tall sativas all within, you know the same country so what do you look for is there is there a starting point then if there's thousands of of land race strains then when you're kind of going on your hunt how do you start so i haven't bred a whole lot of land race myself i've just collected a lot of the seeds together that i'm gonna work on a project here soon with all my favorite polyhybrids i've collected through the years um, i want to kind of make some of those more sweet tones like into the land races but it's really about goals you know um as far as moving forward with land race work, it's it's way more extensive than polyhybrids, so it's a lot more involved. Um, your standard polyhybrids a seven to nine week flower period for commercial. So polyhybrid is going to be something that's been bred over and over and over again. Yep, so yep. it's it's got multiple. So basically, it was two land races that were at one point you know bred together, and then from there someone gave it a name and. They bred it with somebody else's name, and then you start getting your Bubba Kush, and you start getting your Blue Dreams and stuff like that. Do you find the naming the naming stuff challenging? As some cultivars still just throw names at. Absolutely. Know, we had uh, there's one in particular. I'm not going to call them out, but the names that came out with their strains were sometimes even offensive. They were just so off the wall, and there was um, an instance where I had a father and daughter. The daughter was uh, basically confined to a wheelchair, and the only sativa that I had in was called Pootie Tang. Oh, the Pootie Tang, yeah. And here I am talking about Pootie Tang, all right? And I can't even talk intelligently it's so about hard, right? genetics, right. because I'm sure you probably know the genetics of Pootie Tang, but I don't. 
it was the first time that I had seen that name and it was just it wasn't like it just wasn't the greatest of conversations yeah, yeah. when we get something like um, a Malawi from you guys right sure. it's very easy to have that explanation that conversation uh, purple Malawi is by far one of my favorite um, variations of flower that's come out um, in the entire program since it's in existence the oh, fact that you, you guys have you. that is just phenomenal um, so then are you so right now in your position right you're you're tasked with with continuing to to not just cultivate what you guys have but also to come up with some new things and to look mm -hmm. at some new things so are you do you start with like an end goal like an effect like i want this to be stimulating but not to not overly jittery and with a little calming as well so maybe it's a stimulant but it also has like some little low in it and calming do you play with the terpene profiles like it's mostly terpene profiles because i find once you get the diversity of a terpene profile going you know you've kind of found different ailments you know anyway like things to help with all the different sources it comes from different angles so really i just try to diversify like the terpene profiles that we have we try to have the conversation in our dispensary consistently around terpene profiles and not indica and sativa. Yeah. I still find that unless you're asking if it's a, a short plant or a tall plant, exactly. like a lot of ways it's misleading. The more and more is these hybrids come out, like it seems like almost everything's technically a high, you know what I mean? Unless it is a true land racer that, that walks right across that line. We're noticing that we have sativas that have a lot of myrcene and linalool in them, but they're still called sativas. I noticed I got Bubba Kush 37 from Curio, um, which is a fairly relaxing strain when I when I utilize it. But to be honest with you, I was surprised that it had like almost a percent of limine in it. Yeah, yeah. Should be a little more up then, You'd right? you think that it would give yeah. you more up. So like even myself, even when I get down to these terpenes, I'm still amazed at how sometimes they um, contradict what I'm expecting or how these different entourage effects, how them kind of playing in together sure. all play on each other to have different different of feelings and different outcomes. Um, some patients, it's it's easier to dose if someone's just trying to go to sleep or if they have pain. But if someone who's having, let's say, PTSD and very vivid dreams, we would be very careful in terms of what terpene profiles yeah. we're exposing that patient yep, to. Yep. And sometimes it can be challenging thinking that we're going to expose them to something that should be sedating and calming and come to find out, oh, well, you didn't see that lime in there. And actually, straight up. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, yeah, man. Up, right? yeah, it's right. the worst thing you want. Exactly. I mean, you give, if, if you take that PTSD victim and give them a Lowy, it'd be a pretty oh, unreal gosh, experience yeah, for the them. The Golden Tiger or something. Yeah, the Golden Tiger, which is which is a Malawi. It's a Malawi Zamadelica cross, yeah. Um, how many strains are you guys, or let me ask you this. So how many genetic profiles are you working with right now at Shore? So we're putting out roughly about 10, but I have about 50 that we're working with. So we're just trying to perfect certain flowers, get the techniques down, and also just make sure the pheno hunts are going the way that we want them to, you know. So yeah, I roughly have like 40 more plants or so that we're not even able to run. That's, that's got to be exciting and frustrating at the same time, right? Yes, like, yes. There's all those great things happening, but like all of us, there's a capacity issue. And um, How long... So, typically, getting the seeds is, is step one. But then, if I'm not mistaken, you're likely gonna gonna try to, to seek out a mother, right, and find which one yep, of those yep. seeds is, is the best. Sure. Yep. Yep. So within like the genotype of the seeds, so say like Blue Dreams or genotype, you want to phenotype that out. You want to figure out who's different from who, who's gonna taste a little bit better. 
last thing you want is a blue dream that tastes like a, a grape or, you know, something. Ah, oh, this is sour. You know, it yeah. tastes like a blueberry, you know. So you hunt through that. You find the statistics and the COAs that you want on that kind of stuff. And from there, you make the call on rather the lab numbers or actually what the patients say. So we're super big on, you know, we'll put out a couple of the phenos that we think tested the best. And then we kind of wait for a response from the actual dispensaries or some of the patients that we say like, hey, like this is rosé going out. Like I've got one here that's going to be a little more wine tasting. I've got one here that's actually like an OG funk to it. And people are like, oh, okay, well, I'll let you know. And then from there, we kind of have to make that decision like, hey, because sometimes, you know, the numbers aren't exactly what you think they are. I was going to say, is it often that or is it sometimes where the lab tests don't match the patient feedback? Exactly. A lot of that. Like you were just saying, you know, last that too. I mean, I think. It's because I want to be able to constantly rely on the stats, but the absolute truth is that there are times that it's not, it's, it doesn't always anecdotally play out the way that I think it's going to play out. Absolutely. I mean, everybody's endocannabinoid system is so different, you know, for you to go on Leafly and get the same exact feeling as review number one and two, you know, it's going to yeah. be really hard, you know. You're Donnie Jackson, who, uh, I don't know if he's a Yeah, Donnie's the man. I love Donnie. He's conscious all the time, but I mean, like, I love the guy to death, but our endocannabinoid systems must just be so off. Because, yeah, if I smell a strain, I'm like, oh, it smells delicious. And he's like, oh, gag me. And then, like, the same <laughs> thing. Like, he, uh, you know, just the type of, of strains that satisfy our needs. And and the, what I was saying when he was on here is that sometimes I'm surprised that even though the smell test leads us in completely different directions, once we utilize a strain together, it will get the desired effect. And it's not sure. that we have the poor experiences, but um, the way that our olfactory senses work around cannabis between the two of us is completely like we're just on different spectrums. Sure, sure. That was <clears throat> that was my very first experience when I went to, to Denver to a dispensary out there. Um, so really alle- like relieving, you know, going into a legal dispensary. Yeah. This is probably like 2000 and maybe 13 oh, wow, or yeah. 14. And um, was by myself, like it wasn't busy. It was just me and a bud tender at the time. And um, he goes, "Look, I mean, at this point, almost everything's a hybrid. In, our, in what we have here, the only way for you to really know, or the best way for you to know, is just to pop jars and smell." And yeah. I was just like, "Let's pop jars!" Like, <laughs> pop them off. I had never been <laughs> to be truthful. I mean, I don't know that I've ever been to purchase weed before that time where I had an option of more than two strains right sure, yeah. like, I got some left over from last time and I had <laughs> the new stuff I right? fruit like, and I got kind bug what you want <laughs> yeah exactly like I can't <laughs> I'm gonna sound like such a douchebag but I can't even remember the times of smoking the same exact strain not knowing what it was for like a month straight yeah, yeah. right like go buy an ounce and like that was all the weed you got for a month and you don't know what it is and you like you're still, just, like, trying to figure it out and stuff, too. When to smoke it. You're like, oh, this is actually making me way tired. Yeah, work, like. and then, <laughs> yeah, and then you're, like, choosing, like, Medicaid based upon, like, the restrictions of this one string. Yeah, yeah. When I walk in now, I'm like, daytime, midday, afternoon. No, like, yeah, it's yeah. like I can follow the spectrum across of, like, of, of to follow my day yeah, yeah. to make sure that I'm medicating to match up with, like, what I have going on. And, and the fact that the genetics are getting these strains more and more dialed in to be able to when we first started we started out with like seven total skews i had an elixir we had i think five strains ace of spades jelly bean yeah the jelly bean juice yeah the juice yep um let's see i think northern lights um 
It might have been the this is for the coming from my mind. And then we had synergy tablets, and we had awakening tablets, and relaxing tablets. And that was it. That was yeah. it. Yeah. And like, we got no indica. We have no sativas on the board. Or even worse, we had no indicas on the board. And someone comes in and goes, "Well, I have really bad anxiety." And someone told me cannabis could help with that. And I'm looking at one sativa on the board. I'm yeah. like, well, "I can't do that." Yeah, like, you're like, get the jack rear, actually. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. So now when people come in and say, well, you know, I'm looking for some energy, but I don't want to be completely, uh, general. we say, okay, well, look, we can, this pro, this terpene profile, at least, them now, yeah. anecdotally may not shape out this way, but at least we're here. Yeah, yeah, and that's the best part, too. It's like, other than having a selection, we have people there to help guide you, too, you know, it's not just like a, oh, the sour lemon kush, that sounds great, like, I hope that does the job. It's yeah. like, hey, like, is this going to do it for me? You're like, Thank no, God for Dr. Hoffman. Up. I mean, our, our patient consultants are trained so well and the level of conversations even today um i overheard one of our patient consultants and the patient was saying that they were looking to basically increase their dosage a little bit and um the conversation was around you know, how are you administering are you using a bowl or using a water pipe like do you sure. realize you know a water pipe might give you a, a very different a very different uh at least experience because if, it, if you find it's hard on your throat and just there's so much into it and we were um, doing the podcast with Donnie, he was talking about dabbing. He's like, if you're looking for like a standard that fits like everyone, like you're not going to find it. Sure. Yeah. Like he was talking about, you know, being able to just to watch different people do different things and learning like that's what I don't want to do. And like, yeah, maybe that's yeah. what I do want to do. And like, I think that was my cannabis experience as well was, you know, go to different people's houses and see different, you know, how they reacted. Come hit this gravity bong. Well, like, that's great that, like, we were able to consume that much cannabis very quickly, but, like, I've coughed now for the last 20 minutes, yeah, like and, like, that's not really medicating the way that I want to medicate. Yeah, I've always, yeah. like, been a water filter guy, and, like, I don't know. So, I just think that cannabis is a very, the community has been very self-taught for so long that it's nice to actually be able to go to a place and have an expert or someone who's least educated in, in cannabis and and utilizing cannabis as a medicine. So, I mean, our, just so you know, when we built our dispensary, we kind of came up with this fake uh, patient of a 65-year-old woman who gets Lyme disease, never used cannabis a day in her life. Like, if she could come in our dispensary and get educated and feel comfortable and, like, be able to purchase cannabis and get out the door without, like, basically feeling violated, I feel like then we can we'll basically appeal to anybody. Absolutely. Yep. So our patient consultants, they do a really good job of, of having that conversation and, and trying to educate on how they're going to administer it, what they're using. And I think, honestly, I think that's why we do we do a lot of concentrates more so than a lot of dispensaries because Donnie's done such a great job of walking them through the the process of this torch seems scary, but at the end of the day, like, once you get used to it, like, it's really not that bad and, like... And that's because he's also more passionate about that direction of the, of the you know, concentrate over flower. So it's, like, it's going to be easier for him to talk about it too, you know. So it's great because I do feel like concentrate's probably, like being such a newer market, probably the most slept on with like real knowledge, you know, like everyone knows how it's made. And they, you could have a bad experience, like really Absolutely, easily. absolutely. Because it's a concentrate, you know, it's intense for some people, you know. Um, all right. So <laughs> genotype comes in, then you're sourcing the phenotype. Yep. And then tell us about, you know, give us some, not necessarily like your tricks of the trade, but what are some of the things that you think that you do at Shore Natural that is a differentiation or is least best practice for cultivating? So 
getting giving into the soil, get into sure, yeah. you know pesticides if if there are any, if there are not any. I know that you guys, I know exactly where you guys stand on that, yeah, yeah. Um, because you guys have been incredibly consistent since the very beginning about pesticide use. So yeah, yeah. give me a little bit of that. Yeah, so I think what makes us stand out, I mean, there's not many soil growers really in the commercial industry in general. Soil is like everything when it comes to vegetation for any plant, you know. So we get a lot of that flavor, a lot of that real pure plant, you know, form from uh, hand mixing our own soil. So we don't buy bags of soil. So everything's made with love. Um, Beyond that too, you know, yeah, the IPM practice, super against pesticides. So we have um, basically little bug sachets. We use um, predator mites. That's innovative pest management process. Yeah, yeah. Everyone goes, what did you say? Yeah, IPM, yeah. So that's the integrated pest management. Good bugs eating bad bugs. Exactly, yep, yep. So beneficiary microbes and um, little basically mites of their own. Um, We use the ambicimbaline and uh, the californicus, which are very popular for, you know, all the kind of bugs that you would get on the East Coast. So when I went towards Shore Natural back in the day, um, these little bug bags hang on, they'll eventually hang them on the physical plant itself. And then when a bad mite hops on their leaf, the good mites come out, attack it, right? Yep. And then they go back into the bag? Well, they usually leave the bag and just kind of run on the plant right there. So they're in the environment continuously. Some okay. of them will make their way down to the soil, and then some will stay on the leaves. But um, So that's why we bring in two different types of mites to kind of do different things. Nice. Um, so, yes, they're like little tea bags in a sense with a little hook, and you just put them right on the plant. And there's a little hole in the front of them. And... The plants actually, once they kind of move around, or if we actually shake up the tags themselves, make the bug want to come out of it. They start wondering what's going on with my environment, and then they start leaving the sachets. That's awesome. Um, I had never seen that level of sophistication of pest management where you were actually able to use that. But now it's kind of, it's been standard for, or not standard, but uh, do all the, all the growers now at this point are using some sort of innovative pest management program, I, right? I would hope they're like going after the spring forward version, grows yeah. a little issue. I know when we went toward Forward Grow, that's they're really into that right now. Um, so, what else do you guys? So you guys have soil. You guys have a really good integrated pest management program. What else are you guys doing? You guys are really too. I mean, everything's hand water. So a lot of these bigger facilities have these, you know, automatic water systems, timers. You know, you guys are still hand watering. We're still hand watering, and that's actually by choice practice. And um, I think you're the only one that I know that's doing that. Yeah, honestly, yeah. everyone else has got these huge RO2 systems that's pushing all the water through everything, and you guys are out there hand watering. Yeah, yeah. So we just want to do it so that we can actually pay attention to each individual plant. You know, you get these systems going where you don't know if you're getting the right amount of water at the end of the line, or maybe the front's too powerful, and you know, you start getting plants that look better than others, so we want to make sure that we see every individual plant hands-on. So literally every plant in that building gets touched by every single worker. That's awesome. How many plants do you guys have in your building right now? Do you know? So right now, I'd say I in the bedroom at the moment have about 870, so roughly, I'd say about probably 2,000 plants at the moment, not counting clones and seedlings. I would consider you guys a craft-style grower. Do you guys know how you, I mean... Are you guys one of the smaller from a production standpoint? The smallest. The, the smallest? <laughs> we are the smallest, yep. And is there, is that a culture that you guys are cool with? Is that is there is that something that you guys are trying to change? Or is that, hey, we're small, but the stuff that we put out is amazing, and that's, that's how it is. That's how it is. You know, we're Eastern Shore to the core. I mean, everyone that owns the business and that works there is from our community. So we just take pride in just working super hard and making sure that everything just gets what sure natural stamped on it's important to make sure that i guess our thing that stands out is 
we just have so many plants with so few hands, so we get to pay a lot more attention than most guys do. I don't know if you can share this, but do you know about how much your stuff goes to processor versus dispensary? Not a whole lot. We generally will grow like a greenhouse or two just to send to the processors because we have a really good relationship with some of those guys. Like NPX has been a great resource for us. So we try to keep them up with certain profiles. We'll ask them like, hey, what turps do you guys want? And they'll say, hey, like, can you get us something sweet or we're missing like orange stuff and we'll try to help them out and grow like a certain batch for them or something like that. I get super excited when I see that short natural sticker on a concentrate. It makes me really happy. Um, MPX does a great job. Wonderful job. Um, and they, they, they're putting out some of the best product in the market right now with diamonds and sauce and shout out to those guys for yeah, doing just a, a great job. Um, all right. So, we talked a little bit about this before. So now the plants are, are mature. They've gone through the stages and they are ready to begin the dry and curing process. You get a lot of different opinions and a yep, lot yep. of, of, of um, critics in terms of the drying and curing process. Absolutely. I, I, I shared a story that it's not so much now. Right now, I would argue that for the most part, all the flour in our dispensary is really aesthetically pleasing. It looks really, really good. Um, it wasn't the case a year ago. And that was because growers were just learning their systems. They were setting up these huge, large-scale grows and realizing that their HVAC system wasn't adequate, that they had zones that were five degrees off from others, and that Sweet. makes all the difference in the world, right? And at the same time, dispensary owners like myself are, are hammering these guys. I need flour. Don't let me close my doors. I have to serve patients. What are you guys doing? Bring me my goddamn flour. <laughs> and <laughs> then it gets here, and the patients go, what? This, this flour's been rushed. This is dry hay. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like they tried to, to, to rush dry this. Well, well <laughs> they did. They, yeah, because yeah. they had to get you medicine, and it was either have good flour that wasn't as aesthetically pleasing or we 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 basically flash dry the process and rush through the drying and curing process to, to get flour out there or let the dispensaries go with nothing on their shelves exactly and i would argue that you guys did a, so you guys came to market early like yep. i don't i think when did you start at short natural so i started that would have been 2017 or 2016 maybe it's like towards the end of the year there, I started volunteering, making soil and whatnot. So as soon as they were putting plants out, you were involved? As soon as they got that license, I was actually already mixing soil. We were getting the soil ready before the plants were, you know, cultivating or anything like that. We were just lining up the ducts. So you guys were the second ones to market with flour, I believe, yep, or yep. third. I mean, yeah, I think Curio, Forward Grow, and then you guys yeah. came through um, with the Malawis. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And um, so you guys definitely were able to get the market but it, it it's also evident that there were times where you guys weren't going to be rushed yeah. where it was just sorry darby like this is how we do it and it'll be there when it gets there and even yeah. now i mean our our shelves go times without short natural on them um or we don't have a ton of short natural uh selection compared to the other stuff um and that's just because you guys are a craft operation that's not your deal you're not able to push out thousands and thousands and thousands but when it comes out it's great so Go through your drying process sure. and then play devil's advocate for some of the other drying processes that are, are good as well. Sure, sure. 
So um, we just basically cut whole plant down. We have no families on that final process. They just sit and dry for, we try to do about seven to 10 days, which is still a fairly rushed process. Hang it upside down like tobacco? Yep, yep, hang it right upside down. We have dry lines. Um, again, that's all done by hand on like hemp twine that we have. Um, that's two ladies that handle that entire process. So it's really wonderful to watch them just knock it out. Awesome. So they hang those plants up, and then after seven, ten days, they start drying up. We buck those down into little buds, put those in a container, and then we lid those up and basically let that sit for a good week or so. And from there, basically, they get tested. Once it passed testing, then we try to let it sit for at least another half a week to a week, but usually you're getting calls right away. And people are real bad about slipping what's coming out. So, you know, people banging on the door, like, okay, when's that Hollywood coming out? We heard it's already getting harvested, and you're... Like, well, can we please cure it a little bit longer? And at that point, you know, that's people why we have being, to... uh maybe people that own the business. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, I, and I think, too, so, like, you know, the prices were insane at first for yes. everybody. So, you know, we dropped our prices heavy just to kind of keep up with the fact that, like, hey, we can't really cure and keep up with these guys that are putting out, you know, more moist products. So we tried to compete with that price at first. Just like, hey, guys, like, it's just the bottom line. We can't cure this. But here's the price. It's fair. You know, it's definitely expensive overall, but we were trying to always be the bottom line price, you know, like the smaller, you know, end of it all. And that was just us realizing, like, we could not keep up with the market, you know, and we're still trying. So with that being said, though, we are actually working on doubling our production. We have a bunch of uh, stuff being crafted at the moment, two larger rooms. So we do have a lot more product coming out soon, but that still probably won't be till about next year. So you're hanging the plants um, for seven to ten days. Yep. And that's that kind of slow and low process that you were talking about. Try to, yeah. And then if the drying is done right, then the curing is is pretty much taking care of itself then, right? It, not necessarily on that short scale of things, but on like a longer period. So like um, from like a personal scale with other like big growers, people do like 20 day dries. And when you go to like 20 to 25 days, then you don't actually necessarily need to cure it as long. But if you do like a 7 to 10 day dry, then you would want to cure it for at least 2 to 3 weeks ideally. But um, if you do that slow and low dry from the get-go, you don't really have to cure your buds or much at all, you know. Just get it to a good dry point of smoking, you know, even moisture. What are some other, uh, like, what are some of the guys that are doing it, even if you think it's, like, not the best practice? Like, are some of the guys just flash-drying them, and if so, how are they just blown to, like, Lots of like fans, beating them with fans, and then um, I've even seen people using like cardboard and stuff like that inside of like dry rooms, just to absorb to suck them. The yeah. Moisture and then people do like wet buds in a bag, like a brown bag, and yeah, I, I've heard of it all, you know. Wow, interesting. Yeah, so no brown bags are for sure. <laughs> how's the how's the testing going? Like um, it's very interesting, you know. Um, a lot of people are under the impression because there's such crazy cannabinoid levels coming out of Maryland that that the labs are being paid and bought. You know, I think it's more of just like a difference in like moisture content and really like our climate's completely different than other people's climates. So we're looking at way different parameters for testing and whatnot. So you think that it's legit? You think that Curio's throwing out 35%? Blood? I, don't, I don't think anybody's throwing out 35% really. I think the record's like 32 point something by like high times. I think that realistically like we have such well, GTI, a... I mean, GTI did a press release that they came out with 36% in Illinois. Sure, sure. Um, so that, that's probably the new record in 36. 
But that's crazy, though. I mean, Curio's been at 34, at least in Maryland, right? Oh, dude, a ton. They just put out, I think, Blissful Wizard was like 37% or something like that. So how does that not get the record? Is it, is it because they're scared they know if too much... Is it, you think, a prying eyes would... I, I think, yeah, people would start maybe, like, questioning, like, how are you guys hitting this constant 30 mark? Because we hit a 35% Hollywood batch, like, not too, too long ago, and... We got to test it twice. We were like, are you guys sure about this? This is like It didn't come back much different? It did, no. It was the same. Same test results. I think the turps had changed a little bit because it had like sat in the den a little longer. But other than that, we were like, wow, dude, like that's super potent medicine. And, you know, I wouldn't doubt that a hash plant cross would go up to a 30. But again, I think it's just like the moisture content by the time the labs are getting to actually test this product. I think that, so you got to look at it from like a, a standpoint of percentages. So like you look at 20% THC. You got to think about what that other percentage, you know, the 80% has to be the moisture content. So if you have a lower moisture content, that's going to higher your oil content as well. So you're like, oh, wow, like say you drive your bud to like a 4% as opposed to like 10%. That's going to have a higher oil content as opposed to moisture content. So I think some of these guys are figuring out maybe some smart techniques to drying that other people aren't maybe out west. But if that's equating to better medicine or not, I, I can't really tell you from that scale, you know. I'm always interested because I think some people think that, like I've heard that they're keeping their bud and stuff like that. That'd be the, awesome, actually. <laughs> the problem is, though, is it's not like they get to, like, prepare the sample and, and, like, call the testing lab and say, like, here, like, test this. Like, from my understanding, like, testing, like, you guys call a testing lab in, you have several pounds of product, normally somewhere between, like, five and ten, let's say, and then... They're, they're choosing the product that they want to test. Them, they're coming on site. Yep. They're doing the selection process, and then they're testing it. So it would, it would be really tough if someone wanted to... Like tamper with that, yeah. Because it, it's all at the lab's will, yeah. They come in at their time when they set the date. They have a set of tongs that they sanitize. They have their scale that's, you know, customized to the exact numbers, and they take their sample. And the thing is, is I think it'd be hard if you, like, keep dusting it because that's something you'd see and, like, you know, over time keeps dry sift, so it would probably, like, knock off in, like, whatever container. Or, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, but... but I, uh, it's, it's definitely jarring to the community when these guys keep testing these huge numbers. I agree. Because people are... Uh, and, I'm, and I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, quite honestly, I asked myself, Michael Bronfine spent $20 million on his facility. He's got top-notch talent. Why couldn't he grow some of the strongest weed in the country? Sure, yeah. Like he's like that doesn't seem out of line to me. It's not like, you know, some kid in his basement <laughs> out yeah. of a black tent's like here's my thirty six percent, right? Yeah, These right. Guys, he's calling he's, the lab up. He's running like Toyota style practices. I mean, when you go there, the, every room is exactly the same. The trash cans in the same spot and a taped out section. Everything mm-hmm. incredibly um, well managed business and in a pharmaceutical grade lab just seems like if it's going to be done it's going to happen under those parameters and sure, i guess yeah. i'm not as quick to say they're cheating or they're doing something i just i want I'm, I'm more interested in learning about the moisture content sure. and things like that that make these numbers go up but don't necessarily increase the effect like to so i guess your point is like 30 it's just like anything else i mean if you have a strong terpene profile in a 21% indica that's super high in linalool and myrcene it's going to rock you more than like quite honestly like some of these the geely flower that I get that's got really really low turf pro, profiles I don't really get a feel I don't get a lot of the feels out of that flower sure. sometimes I do but sometimes I don't 
And they always have great smell profile, I feel like, on their product. And then I, yeah, I break it up, and it's not necessarily translate through the smoke and whatnot. Like a pineapple, when you break a pineapple bud up, smells like a fresh pineapple. You know, like their smells really pineapple-y. And then kind of get into it, you're like, ah, oh, okay. Like I do wish there was a little bit more turf profile to this. Like, And then, you know, you get some of those containers too. There's not like a total terpene at the end. So it's like kind of hard to sit there and like, all right, it's .01 plus... 0.036 plus. I'm doing the math. In yeah, my you're head. like. <laughs> I know um, a buddy of mine who's got, I mean, he's, he asks for the same thing all the time and it makes total sense, but just the idea of moving to a standardized nutritional fact style packaging with terpenes and cannabinoids so that every grower, processor, and dispensary was using the exact same format. So it'd be a little easier to understand. Because I think I for a lot of folks, to your point, even some of the labels that we do, they're not as great as you know they could possibly be if they were standardized. So I think it's, it can be a little confusing at times. Do you um do you get into the concentrates at all, or are you a I'm flower not, purist? Like? Yeah, I'm not a huge concentrate guy. Like I'll have like a pen for like you know like my back kills me after mixing soil, so like a really nice hybrid. It's like nice in a pen, but no, I'm not a huge like dab or anything like that. I do have a rig, and like I'll have friends over for tastings and stuff. And if they bring concentrate, you know we'll whip the torch out, but. It's not usually my first. I'm a flower guy. You ever press flower? Um, actually, yeah, yeah. I'm big into hash and stuff. I was gonna say that seems like that would be up your, uh, up your alley. A little more old school feel to it. I feel like. But it's like the new school. Like when you when you go out, almost once again, not to keep referencing Donnie's podcast, we were talking about like some of the new trends and the dispensaries out there. You basically have like a press guy. Like it's you pick out your flower and then you go to like your boy John who's pressing like in the dispensary. Yep. You're tipping John because John's the best at pressing and getting all the oil out. Yep. And um, it's one of the more higher revered products right now is this fresh press. Yeah. And I go back to like ten years ago when dudes were stealing their girls' hair straighteners yeah, yeah, no, and like coming in the back room and like pressing me between parchment paper and like like look I can squeeze all the oil out with this hair straightener yeah. and scrape it and put it on top I'm like oh wow the wires around you and stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> you did that yeah so, uh, so how long have you been a cannabis user for a long time I have yeah so I started when I was like maybe 14 or 15 so I'm 27 now. Did you have a passion for cultivating cannabis earlier? You know, it started pretty right away, actually. It was like the year after I had seen my first plant. I was like, whoa, like, that's that's weed. And they're like, yeah. I was like, that's actually really beautiful. Like, I thought it was going to be this big, gnarly, like, monster plant that's going to, like, intimidate you. But it's, like, very nurturing to actually see, like, a female cannabis plant, you know, for the first time. I, um, I feel that. But I have zero desire and I've never had a desire to grow sure. like in my life. And sometimes I, for some patients, um, I don't, I, I don't want to seem like I'm insensitive to the home grow sure, issue, sure. but for the majority of patients, I just want to be like, you're not going to grow this at your home. Yeah. That's not how this works. It's like, much harder than people You're not going to go where instead of, and when you get, a pet, like when you have like a mite issue or you have a mold issue, the first thing you're going to do is use a pesticide. Yeah, or you're right. Gonna go, Miracle grow it out. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. So I don't, and I know there's someone, there's someone mother effing me saying, oh, you know what you're talking sure, about? Sure. I, I can grow it. Yes. Maybe if you're listening to me, you can. But for 90% of the patients out there, especially patients that are sick, 
It's a labor-intensive process. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not a set-it-and-forget-it tomato garden. Like, sure. This is something that requires a lot of time and energy. And it's, honestly, it's disrespectful in a lot of ways to just assume that you could do the exact same process at home, that you guys have a crew of, of several people that have dedicated your work life to, to putting out this medicine. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I, I appreciate you know, kind of the hard thing that, that you guys do. Um, what are you excited about? Or what are you guys working on? You said you're doubling your expansion, yeah, you're doubling your production. There's yeah, probably a lot of work going that. Yeah, we're just trying to get more flour out. You know, like we're again struggling to keep up with the market, and you know we're doing fine as far as like a company and stuff. We're happy with where we're at because we're all you know just happy people. But at the end of the day, we want to make sure more people are getting the. You don't have that huge you know? twenty million dollar Michael Brom fine footprint. Like yeah, your expectations are yeah. your your model is completely different. Like exactly, I mentioned, like yeah. um, when I think of a place like Curio. I think of like pharmaceutical grade, like everything. And when I think of like you guys, I think of like, like your favorite craft. Like this is, it's to your point, like there's people touching every single plant. Yep, it's yep. not this factory. It's more of like a really craft style, style grow. Uh, can you tell us what strains, any, any new strains coming out? A ton of new strains coming out actually. Uh, I think the favorite one on my list is the Rosé. So that's a big one out west. That's a uh, purple bomb cross to that sunset sherbet that everybody's you know into. It's a very wine smell. I think that's why I named it rose, like a red wine, you know, or like a cooking wine almost. Um, I haven't got to try that tartness. It. Yeah, like a little tart smell to it. Stem smells amazingly like a sweet wine. Um, but yeah, I haven't got to try that flower yet. So we're still pheno hunting that one out. Uh, other than that, we have the fat banana coming out, which is like a really sweet tropical indica. And so, what is that cross with? So that's actually like the banana OG crossed to something called Chiquita, which is like one of the sweeter OG profiles. That's more actually out in Europe than so here. Can you go through? I know there's a, a bunch of them, but like, what are some of the more profound profiles? So like, we have gas, right? Sure, which sure. is gonna be your. So like the East Coast, I mean, that's like one of my favorite stories to tell. It's like cannabis has affected our history so much, and especially the East Coast, and like. I'm a big so I see East Coast sour diesel. Yeah, like the East Coast. So we're big on sours over here, and then the diesel still, like the gas smell and stuff like that. But what does East Coast mean? Like, what is that? What is what is that gonna? As uh, opposed indicate? to like really like um like I look at a culture like hip hop culture. I'm big into hip hop. So like you're hearing a lot of old rap songs about like the diesel like blowing sour in the air and stuff like that. So the East Coast, we're equivalently like used to these sours and gas profiles. Out west, people are real big into like the sweet stuff, more the of that earth, the earthy Kush and stuff like that. Yeah, when I think of Stoop Dog, I think of like Kushes, right? Yeah, you know, like, yeah. And when I think, of, yeah. you're right. When I think of, I didn't even thought about that, but when yeah. I think about like the Wu Tangs of the world, like they're rapping about the diesels and the sours. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, like even now, like I'm a big like Run the Jewels fan, and like uh, LP talks about you know the sour and the Killer Mike's from Atlanta. You got so. Khalifa Kush, right? Yeah, right. The Khalifa Kush. Uh, yeah, that's. It's just really funny because you can see how it influences, like, profiles really influence a lot of, like, our history and culture, really, from, like, different areas of the United States alone, let alone different countries. What do you think um, is kind of the future for cannabis genetics? Do you think that... I... This is, like, a tough topic right now with a lot of breeders. There's, like, a company moving in called Phylos, and they're basically trying to stamp a lot of the brands and genetics. Because genetics now are becoming brands, like we were talking about earlier. You know, people associate certain names with just, like, oh, that's, you know, Burner's Cookie and stuff like that. I was trying to think of that guy's name, but, yeah, right? Yeah. And now we see that he's teamed up with possibly someone here in Maryland. Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, you know, people are using these strains as, like, you know, brands and whatnot. So I think that moving forward, we're going to see a lot of these, like, Monsanto's and 
whatnot, they're going to come in and they're going to copyright a lot of these strains. And you'll be able to go to Walmart and buy Blue Dream Seeds just like you can go get your broccoli. And it's going to be the same as, you know, Brandon's and Mary Pat's. And, and will Heirloom then become, like, what's sought after after these yes. guys come in and patent on it? Like, now you can sell Heirloom tomato for more than you can just the run-of-the-mill hodgepodge tomato looks like every other tomato out there. Right? I think that's the future of the market. As far as why I got into the land race, it's just that diversity of terpenes. I mean, you can cross some land races and find stuff that's just not out there. You know, like I hear profiles. I'm like, how do you know what that smells like? And you won't know until you grow something like that. So that future market, everything's going to be so bottleneck. You're going to have like blueberry. You're going to have OG. You're going to have sour. And then that's going to be like it, you know? It doesn't seem like you're having a challenge sourcing seeds across state lines and even across uh, international lines in some cases. Um, does Maryland, for I knew it was always like the Immaculate Conception in the beginning, where the only way to start a plant in Maryland was to either get a illegal seed from out of state and then try to bring it in, which would be illegal because you're violating interstate commerce, or you could get a from a, a basically a, a legal seed from out of state and then illegally transfer it, yeah. <laughs> or you could get an illegal seed from in state and then legally transfer it. But either way, you were breaking the law. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now that the program is in fruition, is a lot of that red tape gone, or is there any red tape? Or is it, does the commission ask you like, hey? Let me see the 40 strains you guys are working on or where they came from. Or? They don't ask me necessarily, but we did in like our SOPs that we gave them, like our operation procedures, like, hey, like this is a list we're going to always write down when we get new seeds in, the source of where they are, the date we plant them, how many. That way we can just kind of keep up with them. I think in the future they'll probably implement more of that stuff. So we kept up with it now. But yeah, I think more of the red tape's kind of gone away with like the hemp farm bill that went into place. I think it was like 2014 or something like that. Like, it allowed us to actually transfer seeds, you know, across lines. We don't have to worry about it. as long as it doesn't have THC, then you, know, you don't have to. worry And most about seeds that. don't, right? Like no, no, no seeds no have seeds THC. Have THC no. Hopefully not. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So if you don't have THC, then technically you're not breaking the law. I mean, I don't recommend anybody legally go just try to get seeds across borders everywhere. But you know, as far as your legal rights, definitely no. Like if you got pulled over with a seed in the United States, you should be totally fine. At this point, I would hope so, but yeah, right. you see in Florida and Disney World, they're banging grandma for CBD. Jeez, right. so, Louise. That poor lady, she's like 83 years old. No. Like, come on. Grandma's trying to just get her CBD treatment in. Oh, some Mickey Mouse has got her hemmed up in cuffs. Yeah, it's right. Like, come on. Yeah, that's absurd. You I'm know? trying to plan my Disney vacation. It looks like I'll be going to Disneyland in San Diego, not, yeah, uh, right. not Florida anytime <laughs> soon. Um, so we could, we'll end on this. Um. It's funny because we've done a couple of these podcasts. It seemed like the only one people weren't really into was the hemp one, which uh, sure, <laughs> we're sure. like super in that. You know, I mean, I'm super passionate about yeah, hemp as well. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people in the cannabis industry look at hemp and cannabis as kind of the same same plant. And it's only difference is because the, they legal, you know, they made 0.3 percent. Yep. One plant, and less than 0.3. But as we're, you know, we're looking at some of these these really beautiful high CBD hemp plants, and they look. They have flowers. I mean, they, they look a lot more like a cannabis plant than hemp has ever looked in its life, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, the genetics world in hemp seems like it's in infancy compared to cannabis. Sure. Would sure. you argue that's true? Oh, I agree, absolutely. And it, I think there's going to be a lot of like folks that have experience on the cannabis side coming in and saying, we have these cherry wine seeds or we have these, you know, you're starting to see 
the ability to pick and choose, but it's not there yet. Like I was, when we had some seeds and we were talking to some farmers, I remember talking to one farmer. He's like, unless I can get, I don't even know which strain it was. I don't want it. And I'll be like, <laughs> for you to only be willing to accept one strain of a hemp seed is not very realistic. Uh, like try to get a type of hemp. And, and make sure it's, you know, one that yields CBD. And yeah, right. And then, like, the phenotype expression between it, like we were talking about earlier, you know, like, he puts down 100 seeds of Skittles, you're going to get, like, 40 of them that have nothing to do with the Skittles taste, too. You know what I mean? Like, he, I guess he doesn't understand diversity. This gentleman actually, uh, he thought that he was going to grow two acres outside hemp of smokable flour. Oh, man. I said, I think you have some challenges ahead of you. It'll be difficult here with our humidity, you know. I, I, I would, I would think so. And the market for smokable CBD flower here is is emerging, if to say the least. Yeah, like you'll be, he'll be able to grow the plant out, but most likely, like we were talking about before, like prior to this, you know, the market's going to struggle. You know, they're going to have a hard time getting like really good product out. So I think these guys are going to struggle with this humidity and stuff at first. Some of the drying techniques we've heard for hemp are. Um, Everything from hand drying um, to like basically to modeling tobacco um, with some fans and others. I've seen some of these machines that actually like rotate and heat almost like a microwave yeah. at the same time. But like, Tumblr. just seems like it would degrade the product significantly. Yeah, if you're gonna sell the smokeable flour, you're just butchering it up at that point. Those guys know? are just looking to grow sell to processors. Oh, okay, They're just sure. looking to um, they basically just want to strip it down and. Uh, make crude out of it and then sell the crude out sure, sure. which I think it's, it's going to be interesting this will be the first time in Maryland that anyone's actually growing hemp yeah yeah um, it's still going to be on a very small scale this year is only still covered under the research pilot the yeah, US, yeah. Uh, Maryland Department of Ag didn't let any for profit entities grow this year that'll be next year um, but it's going to be really interesting to see some of the success stories some of the failures and really understand what growing hemp in Maryland outside is like and like sure. It's going to change, like, you know, how much rain we got last year. Like, I can't imagine any of that would have been that great last year. Yeah, it just yeah. seems like it was so wet. It's going to be so inconsistent. Like, this year, the corn's been phenomenal. We've had, like, really great, like, on and off rainy days this year. So, it's like, maybe those guys will kill it this year. Like, maybe we got blessed for, like, the hemp or whatnot. But, yeah, I agree, man. It's going to be an interesting market to see where it goes. I, it's one of those things we need it, though. It's like a farming community. This is going to replace a lot of local farmers' crops. Yeah, I gave a presentation to the um, Chamber of Commerce. I was just going over, and like even at the low ends, the yields versus like soybean and corn are, are, are more optimistic for farmers. And I also think it's a way to get younger farmers involved, too. Sure. I think um, it's it's more exciting for them, and they can relate to it. It, it looks cool when it's in the ground. Like, yeah, honestly, yeah. like, even me, like, I walked out there, I'm like, there's eight acres of little baby weeds growing. Yeah, like, this right. is awesome. Yeah. Like, this is, this is so cool. And I know that he had, um, they, they're doing eight acres. They had, like, the Wicomico Drug t- Task Force out. Like, hey, if you're flying any drones or helicopters, like. It is weed, kind of. Like, <laughs> you can test it. Yeah, yeah. And that's crazy, too. Is, I mean, some of these guys are going to test hot. Yeah, yeah. Some of these guys are going to add too much fertilizer. They're going to sure. bump these plants too fast. They're going to stress, and they're going to you know, start excluding some THC, and they're going to have to chop them all down and burn them. Yeah, yeah. I sat in on one of these meetings with everybody, and people were freaking out. They're like, am I going to go to jail if I test hot? And they're still figuring that program out, you know, because technically it is, it's weed at it's that It's weed. Point, you know? I mean, I, I try to explain our challenges in our CBD business and why we're regulated so heavily, and it's because 
we get we use utilize batch testing. We use Atlantic testing labs. Um, yeah. But a lot of folks don't do testing. And if that tincture is 0.5% THC instead of 03 you're not selling CBD tincture, you're selling weed tincture. Yeah, exactly. And, you're, and chances are, if you got 150 bottles, 200 bottles, you got a lot of it, right? Yeah, like, right. If you're sitting on weight, technically. The, the stakes are high, and we still see people getting, we saw in Ohio, a tractor trailer full of hemp pulled over. Okay. Those two guys were getting her, um, harassed, and there's still a lot of ambiguity around how the country treats hemp and how each state treats hemp, let alone cannabis and CBD. I'm excited for the future of cannabinoid-based wellness, and I'm a huge proponent um, of looking at the plants as as a single source. You know, I don't know why THC should be treated different than CBG or CBN or CBD or any of the other cannabinoids that can have, you know, medicinal properties. So, um I think people with this hemp program too might see kind of the entourage effect. Like, hey, like CBD and a little bit of THC is actually great. You know, like like we were talking about earlier with this potency thing. Like, I love telling the story. The best flower I ever smoked was at Emerald Cup last year. It was Mean Jeans Cherry Limeade. It's like thirteen percent THC, and like they didn't even have the terps listed out there. And dude, I was rocked for hours, like for hours. Supposed to come here, you smoke something like thirty-two percent. You're like, oh my gosh, like this is way different. It's way different. So that thirteen, do you think it was crazy in terps? I think it, it was definitely very terpy. Like, but at the same time, Taste I think the there's smell. underlying cannabinoids that we just don't really understand quite yet, too. You know, and I think that you know going forward with hemp being a thing, like we'll be testing for way more of a parameter of things that we didn't know. You know, because we're trying to find out about both even, these plants. Even our terpene profiles now. Like the other day. I read off like four terpenes that I've never heard of before in my entire life. Yeah, right. Like they're just continually, and I know a lot. Yeah, yeah. And how do you pronounce those? You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bisabidol, I think, was one of them. Okay. Have you yeah. heard of that one? I don't think. Am so. I saying that right? Bisabidol. Oh yeah, Bisabidol. 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 Okay, yeah. So. Um, You're like osamine. I was like, am I saying that right? Is it oak? Oak And now I look for osamine. Yeah. Osamine is one of the terpenes that I like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's really cool. Um, anything else that you want to make sure that people know about genetics or growing or drying or curing or sure natural while we have you? You know, like I, I just want to say like to at least all the other growers, like a lot of people are putting out really great product, you know, like I'm glad that we have like a really good community of people. So like shout out to all the guys in Maryland who are just killing it, doing a good job. Um, other than that too, like the Salonese smoking culture, the guys that helped me source stuff in Sri Lanka, they're wonderful people. So thank you to those guys. And you know, Sure Natural has is, is been a wonderful outlet for everything I do. So, big shout out to that crew. There's six of us that do all of that work. So, couldn't have done it without all those guys, everything we do, the selections and stuff like that. And Just thank you again. I mean, we um, there's few people that love the Eastern Shore of Maryland more than myself. I mean, it's in my, I'm not, I'm a, definitely a, a come here. I'm not from here, but this is in my DNA. And um when I was able to partner and collaborate with you guys and you know we have employees that have relatives that work for you guys it's very much a local small town feel and I was just so happy that you guys are putting out such amazing products and we love singing your praises and um, I'm really excited for more product I mean obviously that's what we're, we're always hankering for more and more and more but we appreciate it and, um, and thank you so much for, for truly being there for the patient uh, shout out to Shore Natural again. They they participated 
and veteran events for us and helping out with the Canicare Fund. Um, they've been very, very patient-centric, and we've been able to see eye-to-eye in terms of our goals and how we look at um, patients, and this is being a medicine. So, you know, I'm really happy, and, and thank you for coming on, and uh, Cam, and everything that you do, and really excited to see what's next. Dude, thank you so much for the kind words, man. I really appreciate that. Thanks again for having me. Awesome. Take care.